What's good, everybody? I'm here with another edition of BK Talks. I don't know if you hear the little faint sound of an ambulance in the background. It's because I'm getting off work around this time, and I work at a hospital. <laughs> but let me let this sound go past. All right, I think the ambulance is a little further away, so I can continue. Uh, but in this episode... I'm recording it technically on New Year's Eve. It's like the, if you're the person who considers like 12:34 a.m. to be the late night hours of the of the previous day, then I guess you could get, consider it late night Thursday. But I'm getting off work and wanted to put out another episode before the new year. Hit a couple of topics and at the end do some shout-outs, man. I'm hoping not to to botch it. Hope to include everybody um, but let me begin by talking about a topic that I really don't necessarily like to talk about so if you know me you know that I'm not really into a lot of these fan war metrics that we see a lot of nowadays I'm not a big fan of analyzing TV ratings in any kind of in-depth way or any kind of hardcore way. I'm not a fan of really looking at attendance figures for shows that I'm not going to go to. And even if I was going to the show, we don't have any interest in talking about attendance figures. Uh, But it's par for the course nowadays, especially with fans who are engaging in the never-ending AEW versus WWE fan-led civil war. So we we will see ratings comparisons and attendance figures for shows. Uh, and then when one is higher, high and one is low or one drops off, we're going to hear that Tony Khan is going to get is going to have to pull the plug on AEW or we're going to hear that the Fed is in the mud when neither of those situations are the case. Both companies appear to be in pretty strong positions going forward, despite whatever the critics on either side of the divide uh, might think. Uh, so it brings me back to last week's Sunday. And I saw a tweet uh, that had like the seat maps. I don't remember what, what uh, account post these things but you know they they have like the seat maps and shows you the available seats and the total capacity and the amount of uh tickets sold and people use those figures to kind of validate whatever take they have about the company in question uh, so on sunday when i checked at least the wwe had sold like maybe 51 percent of the available the, the total seats available for its uh, post-Christmas MSG house show. And, you know, the, the people who don't like the WWE uh, descended on that one, of course. And, you know, they, they do what they normally do. And that's kind of kick dirt on the WWE and write its epitaph and and feel like the, the, the end is coming. 
you know, some other fans, some of them are 100%, you know, they're going to be diehard WWE fans and defenders of the company. Uh, but some other fans, too, who don't really have those slants one way or the other, cited the new Omicron variant as a possible reason for why those tickets weren't selling. Now, I don't know about these house shows historically, but from what I've seen other, others say, this is usually a lucrative time for the WWE, like that post-Christmas uh, show. But I don't, I don't know anything about that, of course. So I pretty much, you know, have to go, go with that. Um, now, as far as Omicron goes, I know that for me personally, I can only speak for myself personally. Uh, that would be a factor that I would consider as far as going to a wrestling show now. Uh, the Omicron variant, just from first-hand experience working in the ER non-clinical role just to be specific but with a lot of direct patient contact we've seen a lot of people come in and they end up testing positive and on the the shift before mine the, the day shift you got almost double digit number of people out on that shift as a result of testing positive and on my shift one of my uh close colleagues out and quite a few others on our shift. We didn't get as hit hard as the uh, day shift guys. The overnight guys, I'm not sure how, how their staffing looks, but Omicron variant is real, man. We're seeing a lot of people test positive. And that, for me, that's a legitimate concern. That would be a deterrent, deterrent for me if I were to consider going to any kind of large-scale public event. Even though I uh, went to AW Grand Slam earlier in the year um, and I had the you know, my, my customary N95 mask. Uh, but I don't even think I would risk that uh, nowadays because of how easily transmissible this particular variant appears to be compared to the previous ones. Now, if I take you through my rationale that led me to go to the AEW show, <clears throat> you'll, you'll uh, probably understand uh, what's different between then and now. So back then, I was very hesitant. From the start of the pandemic, I was almost maybe too hardcore about not having wrestling around. And then as time kind of went by and things seemed to improve, kind of softened my stance. I was, you know, like, all right, wrestling can continue. Because early on, I was like, hey, everything needs to shut down. NBA, NFL, hockey, college sports, everything needs to shut down. Pro wrestling, everything should probably shut down and then i've softened my stance uh enter 2021 you start seeing the vaccine developed and more and more people become vaccinated you see the new york venues requiring proof of vaccination before you can attend um, and that kind of solidified my decision to go there's a group of us from the from the hospital from the job uh I wore my N95 mask. I wore a cloth mask on top of it just for the little, you know, style, I guess, or to fit in with the, the wrestling event theme of going to a wrestling show. And I had my hand sanitizer on my belt loop, and I felt comfortable enough to go at that time. But like I said, just seeing the number of people that come up positive every day, 
and seeing some of the projections and stuff like that um, make it to where I'm probably not going to risk going anywhere right now until this this variant starts to taper down uh, let alone carry any like my nine-year-old nine-year-old daughter or my 19-year-old stepson to any kind of public events and I, I'm guessing that that's the thing that a lot of parents who might be wrestling fans or parents of children who are wrestling fans took into account in the tri-state area I'm not gonna pretend that that's the only possible reason uh, but I think it is a factor now that leads me to my larger uh, thought in regards to all of this is, is why is that even something that we're going at each other about like why is that a thing that we're trying to use to dunk on the other considering the landscape considering the fact that we're very much still in the pandemic and have this new easily transmissible variant like that should be the the talking point that should be the the main thought and concern when it comes to looking at any of these large-scale events uh, shouldn't be the time to try and dunk on the other side i mean there are plenty of other things that you can use if that's if that's your your mo if that's the thing that you would like to do there are plenty of other things that you can utilize to try to make those points whereas i think the the fact that we're in this situation should honestly take precedent over that you know but that's just maybe i'm biased because the same way i had that kind of hardline stance about the events shutting down i think that was heavily influenced by working in the er and seeing the, the freezer trucks out there by the ambulance bay and and seeing how cautious people were in terms of handling even like the the, the deceased from covid the covid deaths and seeing how everyone was kind of on eggshells at that time period myself included you know maybe that that influenced my thought process at that time and perhaps that's what's influencing my statement uh, my feelings right now but uh, and ultimately i think we, we got to kind of look at the bigger picture when it comes to certain things like no one's saying you gotta totally make your life about covid or anything like that and I'm not saying that people who hate WWE shouldn't hate WWE. I'm not saying that the people who hate AEW shouldn't hate AEW. Uh, but like, when it comes to stuff like this, man, I think you got to look at a bigger picture. You can you you can find something else to dunk on the WWE about. And I think I'll end that part of this episode there. Now, as for topic number two have a little uh, controversy arising from I want to say it was the last rampage as of as of uh, this recording I think that occurred on Saturday and that was match two in Hook's young career uh, before I begin I think I'm probably predisposed to being biased towards Hook mainly on the strength of his pops like I was a huge fan of Taz uh, particularly when he was in uh, WWE, but I rooted for him in, I'm sorry, particularly in ECW. That's when I first, well, that's not even when I first saw him. I first saw him in International World Class Championship Wrestling as a Tasmaniac back in like 92, 93 on some random Saturday afternoons, flipping channels and watching wrestling on Sports Channel America way back when. Uh, 
Uh, but I became a huge fan of Taz uh, during his ECW time. Like to this day, I feel like Taz might be the greatest ECW creation, and that Paul Heyman was able to kind of get ahead of the trend. He turned a five foot eight, five foot nine, two hundred and forty pound guy into like the most dangerous man in the world or the the guy who appeared to be like unbeatable he crafted this 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 kind of character and this aura about him that really resonated with me and then you know the Brooklyn connection as well man everybody knows about the hashtag Brooklyn bias Taz is a Brooklyn boy from Red Hook I'm from the Stuy, different neighborhoods, but we're all, all Brooklyn. And I was just a fan of the man. I, I was a fan of how he carried himself uh, walking to the ring. I was a fan of how he did those promos with the towel on the head. And I think he took that from another Brooklyn-born guy, Mike Tyson. That's Brownsville, next neighborhood over. And it just worked for me. The suplex-based offense with the judo and jiu-jitsu you could argue that, like at least for American-based wrestling, he was like the one of the first guys to kind of adopt the MMA-esque fight style, or I guess bring back the shoot style because I know early wrestling was like the shooters and stuff like that. But as time progressed, we saw what wrestling ultimately transformed into. He was a guy who was able to kind of take a then modern approach to that and it worked Taz felt like an unbeatable monster to me like I could see him getting picked up by big dudes and put through the ring I could see him getting hit with big power bombs and pile drivers and get right back up flip you off either hook you in this Taz mission one of my moves that I used to work on every day <laughs> uh, like that was around my teenage years man uh, hook those moves on folks and I could watch that for forever. He was my guy. Everybody knows that I'm a Booker T and Sting fan as far as my 1 and 1A wrestlers. But like on that rung right below those two, you're going to find Taz. So when I, when ECW, when ECW, when AEW started and we saw uh, Team Taz come on the scene, saw uh, Hook eventually and you know, I didn't know anything about Hooks about about Hook about Taz's son. Uh, did a did a little minor research, nothing too in depth. Found out that he, unfortunately, doesn't get the the hashtag Brooklyn bias because he was he's a Long Island boy. But I I don't hold that against him. Some pretty nice people out there on Long Island. Uh, but he's a legitimate lacrosse prospect in high school, and a good athlete. So those are two, and lacrosse is a tough sport. Lacrosse is a very tough sport. So those two things alone show that you have some tools to work with when it comes to hook. I saw him wrestle his first match against Fuego Del Sol, and I came away impressed. I mean, he looked kind of like a natural. He took to the ring, took to the, to the wrestling thing pretty easily. From what I saw in that first match, uh, his style, reminiscent of his pops, and, and very different from a lot of the other people 
that are in AEW right now. I mean, you can find some guys who do some similar things to him, I guess, like Daniel Garcia has some of those aspects of the technical stuff and Lee Moriarty, of course. But when he started throwing those suplexes, started hitting those cross-face punches, which is like a part of Taz's offense that I think a lot of people who aren't big Taz super fans uh, probably wouldn't even uh, think about. Only thing he's missing is a Brooklyn boot, but he's from Long Island, so so you can't really do that. But uh, those uh, those punches and the like, those uh, body shots when he had Del Sol in the corner, those were tight. Like he throws very good working punches, and I think that's kind of like a lost art form right now. You see a lot of people when it comes to their strikes, they're throwing a lot of forearms. You ain't seeing a lot of really good punches thrown. Seeing forearms, and then. And those can go either way. Sometimes they look impactful. Sometimes they don't really look like they're doing much. And you see a lot of the kicks, of course. Uh, but his, his strikes, I like them, man. He, he has a nose for, for the wrestling game. And looking forward to seeing him do his thing. Uh, the second match against Bear Bronson, I know that's where people had a lot, of, a lot more criticism. And even the spot that everyone's talking about even i took a little step back but i don't feel like it's a deal breaker for me like i saw him no sell that uh pile driver and i instantly knew what they were going for um i don't necessarily think it resonates the same way uh for me that the, like when i saw his father uh get hit with high impact moves and pop up but i know what they were going for and ultimately it's not the the, the biggest deal in the world I'm interested in seeing where they go with him and and how he progresses. He's going to have to sell something for somebody. Uh, so I'm wondering if they continue to do it, do something like that, have him pop up from certain stuff. Maybe maybe you can have him pop up from power slams or spine busters or other stuff that look impressive but aren't traditionally seen as finisher type maneuvers, even though Nowadays, pile drivers really don't get any respect now. Uh, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> like when it comes to the Canadian destroyers and pile drivers off the top rope that I've seen in a match, and a guy didn't get the win off of it, or stuff on the apron, stuff on the outside of the ring. Like pile drivers aren't really respected the way that I probably feel like they should. Uh, but even back in the day, I'm not gonna. not gonna act brand new and act like i didn't see road warrior hawk pop up or taz pop up from moves or hogan get hit with moves or uh, macho man get hit with a move and pop up or the warrior or anybody like it happens i'm not gonna act brand new in that regard uh, but i will say that when it comes to hook he has a like a very good physique uh you already know he's athletic. Uh, he doesn't strike me as a badass, but he strikes me as tough. And I don't know if other people make that distinction between just being a badass and being tough. Like, I think Taz kind of fit the tough badass category. Meanwhile, Hook comes off as tough, but not necessarily badass. And I don't know if it's the hair, <laughs> you know, because some people might say he looks like a model. And that might be a little bias there. But, you know, that's probably the one thing that made me kind of take a step back and say all right well maybe maybe they're doing a little bit too much with him getting up off, off of the, the fire thunder driver or the for the old school fans of ecw the greetings from asbury park 
or if you were a fan of Rikishi, then you know it was the Rikishi driver. And I want to say that's the same move that Thunder Rosa uses in AEW as the Fire Thunder driver. Uh, Ring of Honor fans might know it as the Marcus Garvey driver. Um, but you know, all in all, man, I'm a, I'm a fan of Hook, and I think he has a bright future if things work out the way that they they should. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if because we, you know, AEW AEW talks about the pillars, the four pillars, but I think that they have quite a few young talents who you could probably build build off of, and some talents that probably should be. That should be seen as pillars, but aren't. Will probably maybe better at certain aspects of the game than the people that they want to put up as pillars. But with with Hook, he'll probably be there one of their few guys who they got from the from the from the mud. They got from the dirt and built from the ground up with no prior independent wrestling experience and visibility uh, beyond being on AEW TV. And uh, I think he's a guy to watch. I think he's somebody that I kind of wonder who his legacy rival will be. Like his, his uh, not legacy rival, but his career rival will be. You know, a lot of people look back at the O2 class and they think about like Orton and Cena or Cena and Batista, Cena, Lesnar. Like they, they think about different people that you can kind of match up with each other over the course of their careers like Edge Edge came into WWE before Cena obviously but they're kind of seen as big time rivals but something like that like basically who was Hook's big rival going to be over the years over the next 10 years or so and if things hold right I would like to see Jungle Boy and Hook become big time rivals or maybe even uh, Hook and you probably do some stuff with Hook and Sammy Guevara, or Hook and Darby. You know, and maybe secondary rivalries with a guy like uh, Daniel Garcia or Lee Moriarty, as their careers kind of progress throughout time. Uh, but ultimately, man, I'm a big fan of Hook. I think he has a lot going for him. I'm not on the train as far as some of the the memes and how extra a lot of people online are people do a lot of stuff for effect i think Uh, and i'm not going to rain on that parade but that ain't me and now i'm going to close out by trying to do the shout out thing and just talk about some of the cool people from 2021 that i've interacted with Uh, some of them are people that i've known for a while Um, hope I do this the right way. I'm not a not a professional podcaster, kind of just finding my way. Uh, but I want to start off with the fellas from Mindless Musings uh, because I want to say that I, I met these guys, well, two thirds of them this year um, through Rob Burnett, guy who I interacted with a lot on uh, social media because he has his own podcast. Uh, the, the uh, Rob the Genius podcast that I will be listening to uh, whenever that episode drops later on. And I got to shout out DJ and Jason and Rob for allowing me to be a guest on their podcast. Uh, 
couple months back. It's a, it's a very good experience, man. Like, I have a huge amount of respect for anyone who can put out a consistent weekly podcast. I don't know how y'all do it, to be honest, man. It's hard as hell to find stuff to talk about, let alone talk about it at, at length. Um, I think the fact that the three of you guys have like great chemistry with one another uh, shines through while listening. Um, I know that when you record on the on the Wednesdays, it drops on Thursdays, and you know, I do a lot of my grocery shopping on Thursdays, man. You, I carry you guys with me throughout that whole process, man, <laughs> and I really, uh, really enjoy listening. And uh, looking forward to, to possibly linking up with you guys later on in the next year. Um, I know my schedule is kind of crazy uh, with the hours that I work and the shift that I work. Uh, but hopefully we could link up and, and uh, record something else uh, down the line. Next, I got to shout out the guys from Chair Shot Radio. Uh, the only ones I really interact with any kind of regularity regularity would be like a Ray Cash. I know I hit him up sometimes in the, the private messages about different wrestling-related topics and even some non-wrestling-related topics. He's always insightful. Even when we have like a disagreement on a particular subject matter, it's always coming from a, a good place. It's not like a lot of these toxic arguments that people have online where if you don't agree with each other 100%, it becomes this big war and argument and you can't even... Or talk to each other civilly. So I appreciate you know, those conversations with Ray. I know he's dealing with a personal situation right now. But I'm, I'm hoping that he's able, to, he and his family are able to, to work their way through. And uh, I mean, looking forward to, to hearing more from him when, whenever the time is right. Gotta show some respect for one of his co-host on the Outsider's Edge at the Chair Shot Radio and that's Kyle. Kyle, I like listening to Kyle's uh, insights on different subject matter because he's always well thought out and articulates his points well to where you can understand where he's coming from and and even if you might disagree, you start listening to his points like, yo, I, I see where he's coming from. I understand. And although I've never, I don't I've never like guessed it or anything like that with those guys. They're also another important part of my podcast listening week. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing more from him. Got to shout out the fellas from Social Suplex. Uh, more specifically, James and Rich and Jeremy. I got a chance to meet those guys briefly a couple of years ago when uh, they came up to New York for WrestleMania weekend. And I always got to show support, man. Always got to show support. Uh, now, specifically with Rich, I think I interact with him a little more than the others. You know, he has music that I feel like the world needs to hear. He does his thing on the production side. He does his thing lyrically and on the mic. And I'm hoping that for 2022, uh, that he's able to bring us some more music, get his projects out there. Um, I always give him this feedback, you know, separately anyway. So it's not anything new that he hasn't already heard from me. Uh, but I'm wishing him uh, 
and the rest of the Social Suplex crew all the best as we move into 2022. Got a shout out uh, Spectral Gent, aka Miz Fan, uh, one half of the Legacy Series podcast. I know I've fallen fallen behind uh, on my listens, uh, but he's a really cool guy to interact with on Twitter. He has a lot of good wrestling insights, and he has like a wide, wide uh, variety of content that he consumes regularly. So I gotta shout him out for it. His, when when I first started interacting with him like regularly, it was like th- around the time of the WCW The Legacy Series podcast, and that was like an institution for me. Like uh, I, I felt like I was doing homework, <laughs> uh, you know, watching stuff. In, in my case, rewatching stuff because the stuff came from a, my childhood time period. So I was trying to find a lot of the TV show because uh, they cover a lot the, the pay per view stuff and the major shows, the major clash stuff. And in between, I'd try to help fill the gaps for them, like based on my own memory and based on uh, TVs and stuff like that. So I was really engaged. Uh, they moved on to the WWF Legacy Series. They, for a variety of reasons, they've had to like take little pauses here and there. Uh, but I gotta shout them out because he's another hardworking guy. I don't know how, <laughs> like I said, I don't know how you guys do it with the podcasting thing. And I know I'm probably forgetting somebody, man. But if you didn't hear your name called on here, it's not because like you're forgotten. Like, but I don't care or anything like that. It's because I'm not that great at podcasting and uh stuff like this so just want to just big up everybody who i interacted with over the past year hoping everybody can move safely so we can prosper into 2022 and hoping that we are able to maintain or regain some level of normalcy because it would be cool to meet some of y'all man like at a wrestling event or something like that because uh now that the AEW Grand Slam show was a fun thing to go to. Uh, I didn't really interact with any fans outside of my group of six that went. But, you know, if, if things get back to a place where we can interact with people like like normal human beings would, I would love to meet some of you guys at some point at a wrestling show, chop it up, talk about our fandoms, and, you know, yeah, just do the normal wrestling fan stuff (laughs) you know but uh i'm terrible at closing out podcast episodes so uh, i want to just say thank you to anyone who might come across this i know i'm still kind of a work in progress i don't really advertise the fact that i have this thing because i know i'm not very consistent at all i'll come up with a topic i'll brainstorm it a little bit try to record a little bit and then I'll hear something that's like, nah, I'm not putting that out. And I ditch it. I end up deleting it, going back to the drawing board or doing another draft, hearing that, deleting it, going back to the dry, dry, uh, drawing board. And by the time I get an episode out, it's probably like five or six drafts in. <laughs> and even then, sometimes I'm like, nah, I don't really like how that came off. But I'm going to ride with this one. Uh, flaws and all, yeah, I know I'm not, not a pro at this. And that's why I have so much respect for the guys that I mentioned uh, who have regular podcasts because this this thing ain't easy so shout out to everybody wishing everybody a happy new year 